The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This uh, is part two of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have uh, our uh, our panel of uh, political pundits, uh, including regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Uh, thank you, Tom. You know what? I would like to uh, recommend Janworth Nelson for the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, oh, right. I second my little, that. Motion. My little lace and put it on right away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, moving uh, moving on, uh, we're seven weeks out from the November 3rd election. A free press poll released Friday shows that Democratic nominee Joe Biden continues to hold a clear lead over President Donald Trump in Michigan, though his advantage was still shrinking from its high point a few months ago. Biden led Trump 48 to 40 percent in the poll, which was conducted by Epic MRA of Lansing for the Free Press and other media partners and had a margin of error of plus or minus four percentage points. While an eight-point lead is significant, it's down from an 11-point lead in July and a 16-point lead Biden held in June, signaling that Michigan could still be competitive in the fall election. U.S. Senator Gary Peters, Democrat from Michigan, appears to be holding a slim four-percentage-point lead over Republican businessman John James in his race for re-election, down from a 10-point margin he had two months ago, according to a new Free Press poll released Friday. The poll shows Peters, who is running for his second six-year term as a senator, leading James 45 to 41 percent with 5% supporting a third-party candidate and 9% undecided. The poll has a margin of error of plus or minus 4 percentage points, meaning the race could be a virtual dead heat. Are these two campaigns intertwined? Oh, I think so, yeah. Well, they always are. I mean, I, I think Peter, I think uh, 
James has tried to somewhat separate himself from Trump to, to some degree, but I mean, clearly, I, I've forgotten the exact percentage now, but I think a significant majority of voters in Michigan vote straight ticket, whether Democrat or Republican. So inevitably, they're, re, they're intertwined, at least to that extent. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that this shows us something that we've never seen before this closely. This shows that whites don't necessarily care are not affected so much by race in Michigan. Because if black voters were to turn out for John James, he would be 10 or 20 points ahead. So uh, this, this shows a lot about our culture, and we need to be grateful for that. We're changing, and we don't see that. And I've said that a long time about when you look on TV, it looks as though we're running the country. When you look at this political situation between James and Peters, uh, you see that James should be way down because he's not getting support from his own cultural group. Hey, did you and see where the Detroit yeah. Regional Chamber endorsed Peters? And, it, and, the, the, yeah. and the, the Michigan Chronicle also endorsed Doris Peters as well within the last couple yes. of weeks. See, and that's a black paper. Right. Yeah. Those, are but are those pretty significant? The, but, but I'm so pleased that it shows that our culture is getting better. Even though we won't accept it, we deny it. We won't listen to anything like that, and we won't admit it. What, what, in what way is it getting better again, can you say? Uh, because, because whites are demonstrating by the support of not only, not only, but by Obama and all of that. Obama was also a great benefactor from the changing attitudes of white population in this country. That they're not going to vote uh, yeah. ethnic means, for instance? Uh, no, I think whites are going to, they're going to vote their choice. See, they have a, they have a, they they have a a confidence that their choice is a good one, and uh, that's a lot, it's the same kind of confidence that he showed for Obama when Middle America, out of the blue, away from the coastal cities, all of a sudden nominated Barack Obama, and the rest of the country followed. And yeah. in this case, I believe this is why I think that John James is likely to become a winner in this city, I mean in the state. No matter whether the president carries it or not, it's the impact of the cultural group that lives in Michigan, whether the Democrats or Republicans. And you're gonna have support for John James from both parties. Well, the, in that particular race, the, the, uh, the, the television advertising has been fast and furious. And I've been getting the biggest kick out of they're they're both running positive and negative ads. Right. And there is that that rule. And I don't know if people realize it, that if um, if the candidate says that they approve this message at the beginning of the ad, it's going to be an attack ad. If they (laughs) if they say it at the end, it was all positive. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's based on this notion that people remember what they last heard. So perhaps when they're hearing the negative ad, it doesn't come back on the candidate because people have forgotten that they endorsed the ad. Oh, that's funny. Isn't yeah. it? Watch, watch the ads and keep track of whether or not oh, yeah. the, the disclaimer is at the, at the front or the back of the ad. It's, it's kind of fun to watch. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up was... Uh, 
you know, both of the uh, presidential campaigns have, have really been focused on Michigan. There's been a lot of talk about Michigan being a real battleground state. And Kamala, um, Kamala Harris was uh, in the Flint area in Detroit yesterday. And I was going to set something up about that, but, Paul, you, you followed her around. Did you Do you want to say a little oh, something yeah, yeah, about her was, uh, trip here? It was an interesting kind of turnout. It was. It was at first, I wasn't even sure I was going to go because we didn't know where it was going to be or when it was going to happen. And at the last minute, we heard that it was going to be at the common bookstore and then go over to the farmers market. And I, when I got there, there was a relatively modest crowd. I mean, I'm going to say a couple of several dozen people were kind of hanging around, in addition to the security folks and all of that. But then, as she visited the bookstore and then walked to the Capitol Theater and then the Farmer's Market, the crowd built, and by the end, it was a very substantial-sized crowd that was there. I don't, and clearly it was not planned that way. I mean, there was almost no prior publicity about the time and place of any, any visit she was making to Flint. She said she was coming, but didn't say when and where to the general public. Um, and... Uh, as I say, I think the enthusiasm was, was remarkable considering how little publicity there was. Uh, there was, there was no, no lengthy public speech or statement that she made. She spoke to some people along the way, uh, mostly black-owned businesses who were hurt by the, the COVID virus. Um, and again, I think it reflects the fact that uh, clearly Michigan is, is still going to be in play even with the, the, the hefty lead that, that Biden seems to have at the moment. And uh, the key thing is going to be turnout. I mean, I think one reason why why Democrats did so poorly in 16 is people tended to stay home. So I think the real goal is to, 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 to goose up the turnout a bit in both Flint and Detroit and other areas of Michigan that wasn't there in 2016. Yeah. But it, um, but it, I, I was wondering, the same thing happened when Biden came through uh, months ago. What, that's what right. What's all the secrecy about who's showing up? I mean, are they getting threats? Are there security concerns? I mean, uh, are they nervous about large crowds showing up? Or um, and, and also, Paul and uh, Tom Travis, our assistant editor, had the experience of kind of a little bit being roughed up by the security. They seemed nervous and a little trigger, not trigger happy, that's the wrong word to use. But um, So I, I, I just wondered... That, that sets a tone for her appearance that seems a little strange to me. Like, what's the big yeah. secret? About yeah, I, 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 I was struck by how strong the security was. To, I, mean, I, I go, I've been to a lot of those events over the years, and I was struck by how strict the security was, even compared to the Biden visit last March. Uh, the, there, there were more police, Secret Service, and other folks around keeping you away. You know, I mean, half an hour before she arrived, <laughs> They had blocked yeah. off the I mean, Tom Travis is reporting that he actually got physically pushed and elbowed and that some security guy whispered in his ear, you know, you better get back behind this, and he was being kind of sucked yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were playing more hardball yeah. than I had seen before. Well, they have to protect uh, the vice presidential potential candidate of the United States. That's a job. But this, I've gone to lots of these. When, when President Ford, uh, rather... Yeah, President Ford was my guest. I said, here, here. I, they didn't announce where they were going to be. They don't do that anymore. They don't want uh, potential groups that are anti and volatile and disruptive. They don't want that. 
The president of the United States, Donald Trump, can handle that. But the rest of the candidates around the country have difficulty with that. You know, you're right. I think the security has gotten a lot better. I mean, I can recall going to some events in the past, freely for both parties, and I would walk in with a, a, a big camera bag full of stuff. Nobody checked it out. I could have had a bomb or a machine gun in there, and nobody checked it out at all. But now... You know, you're lucky if you get within 50 yards of the candidate. Well, hey, we got Bob. We got Bob's on the line uh, again and wants to uh, weigh in on something you've been talking about, Paul. Hey, Bob. Uh, hey, how you doing, all? Uh, Jan, uh, just respo- uh, responding to your concern about when you were saying uh, is the reason why some of these candidates are not getting the kind of turnout is because maybe they might have some concerns about yeah. security either being roughed up by security or having some uh, 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 unfavorable incidences occur. Here's my, here's my take on this entire situation. And when you're talking about the polls in the state of Michigan, and I'm going to enlarge this nationally. I, and folks, I hope that, I hope that the goodwill that, we've, that I've, I've experienced with you folks is not about to go out the window when I tell you all that I am a Donald Trump supporter. However, I have tried to put all of the emotional stuff where we're talking about politics aside so that we could all exchange ideas. That's what I've tried to do. I will be voting for the president in November, but I have truly learned and have appreciated all of the opinions that you folks have expressed today. But getting back to my original comment, Jan and Paul, it's all about this. And I, I, I think that in the back of your minds, you look at Biden and Harris, and, and the both of you who are very knowledgeable, I, I'd be willing to bet when you look at this, this ticket, there's not an awful lot of enthusiasm for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, specifically Vice President Biden with the issues that he has today. Enthusiastically, and when you're talking about turnout, Paul, I'm telling you, this is going to be a tight race. I think that the president is going to win, but it's not going to be a blowout because of the... Uh, of the enthusiasm factor. Our, our base for the president is as jazzed as Michigan on Ohio State Saturday. But I, <laughs> Bob, Bob let, me, let me jump in here because we got about a minute I'm and not, a half. I'm not sure that the vice president, I'm not sure that Vice President Biden is enjoying that kind of enthusiasm, especially when I hear comments made by Van Jones on CNN two weeks ago when, when Vice President Biden made a, uh, an appearance and some remarks, and Van Jones said, paraphrasing now, well, at least he didn't embarrass himself. When you're saying that about your candidate, that tells me that uh, there's, an awful lot of, there's an awful lot of unease and the enthusiasm level to get a person elected just Bob, isn't there. Yeah. Bob, i got to jump in here and stop you. We're, we're under 60 seconds up to the break, so I'm going to make a couple of so, quick Sorry comments. for being so long, everybody. That's all right, Bob. And, Thank and you. And it's good to have you back. Um, and, and I'm sure that uh, you'll probably get another uh, invitation to Clio from Henry for supporting uh, Donald <laughs> yes, Trump. Yes, yes, by but, all means. <laughs> but um, we, do have, uh, we do have a short break coming up, and uh, I, I just want to thank Bob for participating in the program, and I, uh, I appreciate the patience of the panel. I, I just kind of sprung Bob on you guys, but I, uh, I like to see people participate in the show, and I hope you guys don't mm-hmm. mind. Thank you for your... Um, willingness to go along. Certainly. You did a good job. And with that, we're going to take a a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in 
edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. And if you're streaming us, uh, we have some messages as well. We're going to get back and talk about Ruth Hello, Bader Ginsburg. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death has opened up a political battle over the future of the Supreme Court, who will fill her now vacant seat as Election Day looms. After the court announced Ginsburg's passing, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said President Donald Trump's nominee will receive a vote on the floor of the United States Senate, and Trump on Saturday said that Republicans have an obligation to fill the vacancy on the high court without delay. The vacancy on the bench creates what many conservatives view as a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity to move the makeup of the court from its current split of five conservative justices and four liberal justices to a more dominant six-to-three majority. But Democrats, including former President uh, Barack Obama, have called on Republicans to uphold the precedent set in 2016 when they refused to fill the Supreme Court vacancy created by the death of Justice Antonin Scalia, even though Obama had nominated Merrick Garland for the seat in March of that year, months before the presidential election. Will the Senate get this done before the election? And if not, will the election outcome impact the likelihood of a lame duck confirmation? Um, I I don't see any path to stop I don't like it, but I don't see any. I don't see any. Yeah, I mean, from everything I'm hearing, the votes are there, and uh, the the best line I heard is, "Would have been nice if Trump had moved as quickly on the pandemic as he is on a Supreme Court appointment uh, last uh, February." But yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean the, the votes are there, and I think the the, the reality is, it's uh, as you said already, Jan, and the. Republicans have already given a rubber stamp, even though they don't know the name of the nominee yet. It looks like there's going to be 51 or 52 votes, at least, uh, for whoever it is. Andy Berwitz yesterday had a column that said it was Mitch McConnell's nightmare, and it was that um, Merrick Garland has been sitting in Mitch McConnell's driveway waiting for the call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I know that in this case, Republicans have made mistakes and they have uh, moved forward and then backwards in cases we're dealing with uh, Supreme Court justices. But there's a law that says, and the law is very clear, who has the authority to appoint the Supreme Court justices? And and, and, and uh, so that law is very specific. We don't need to do anything else but follow the law. We're trying to make, we're trying to change the law as we go, and that's a no-no. I think that, that if the president has that authority, he should do it. You know, one thing that might happen, and I wouldn't bet on this, but one thing that might have some impact is that one of the <laughs> cases coming up is a key case that could invalidate the uh, Affordable Care Act in the middle of a pandemic. 
That and comes up for that comes up for vote November tenth. That's right. Just just right after the election. And, he might not and even well, whether or not that would mobilize the public, I don't know. But I think <laughs> that's clearly a critical going to be a critical case. That's a good point, Jan. <laughs> she said uh, we might not even know the results of the election by the time. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> exactly. True. Yeah. Bob, are you still with us? Oh, I thought I heard Bob uh, weighing in there a little bit. Um, I'm I'm curious. Do you think that this will have an impact on the election itself if they do this nomination before the election would that would that energize um, potentially biden harris supporters uh, in a last ditch effort um, to actually yeah. what i'm thinking it's going to it's going to probably energize both sides i mean, I mean it's clearly the yeah. democrats will be energized out of anger and Republicans be energized because this is going to be one of some of their key issues that have mobilized Republicans. They're, you know, the Affordable Care Act, the abortion issue, all of those things are going to mobilize Republicans as well. So I, th- I think it'll cut both ways in terms. Of, but, I, but it may gin up the the turnouts uh, to to one of the highest turnouts we've seen for a long time in, in a national election. If well, go ahead, Henry. No, you go ahead, and I'll follow you. I, I was just going to say, is um, that going to be the, uh, how long will it be uh, after the election uh, before Democrats start, will they wait till January to start talking about packing the court? Uh, oh, I, I I, I'm they, not sure that's going to happen. I, 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 only because of the historical precedents. I think there's a little talk about that, but realistically, I don't think... I don't think it's going to happen. And, I'm not sure it would be a wise move if they tried it, to be honest with you. And that takes a long time. you you got uh, the majority of conservatives on the court now, and somebody yeah. has to die or somebody has to leave or somebody has to be killed or some something to make a, a vacancy there. So uh, to begin, if, if you have a well, Democrat, you know, I'd like to say uh, president. Yeah, FDR tried that in the late 30s when, when the court was knocking down yeah, you know. his New Deal stuff. and. And even though he had a huge majority in the House and the Senate in those days, even then they they turned on him and said, "No, this has gone too far." And he he, he yeah. never got very far with the prospect. Thanks, hello, Tom. Yeah, Bob. Uh, Tom, I'm, I'm listening to the comments, and I just wanted to make a, a, a response to. Uh, I'd like to ask Jen uh, this this question when it comes to the the Supreme Court justice because. Uh, I think that the panel knows, and especially Jan Ruth Nelson knows, this is all about Roe versus Wade. This yep. is the crown. This is the crown jewel for the Democrats, and this is what they are most concerned about. And here's yep. a question that I'd like to ask. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I'm a, I'm just agreeing. Oh, Jan, how much? It's a, it's a rhetorical question, but I, I I need your perspective on this. How much better would this world have been, Jan? In the past 40-plus years, without those abortions, I, I'm constantly hearing in, in the political arena that we need someone to bring this country together, that we need to put away all this acrimony and all this divisiveness and all of this backbiting. And my question is this. How much better could this world have been either politically, socially, economically? You name the category, Jan. How much better would this world have been 
without those abortions. Where would we be today? I suspect that we probably wouldn't be as divided today uh, as, as, as we are now if, uh, if something like that, would, if those abortions wouldn't have occurred. I'm just interested to hear your, uh, uh, your response. Okay, I have some views. Um, first of all, I think that uh, the feminist movement of which I am proudly, uh, I proudly declare myself a feminist, uh, it, over the last 40 years has been to some degree too singularly obsessed with the issue of abortion. That if we had, uh, and, it, and it's become one of those, you know, wedge issues that has detracted us in a way from larger issues of economic equality, education, all that kind of stuff. That'd be one thing. So I feel like it's it's been it's been so divisive, and that it and it has kept us focused on one thing rather than the larger context. Uh, as you know, the the percentage of, the number of abortions in the country has gone down quite a bit over the last few years. Uh, it's not increasing, so um, it's not as if Roe v. Wade has led to a whole. Um, you know, um, increase in abortions. That's, that's one thing I'd want to say. Um, another thing I want to say is my view from the beginning is that the question of abortion doesn't belong in the hands of government to start with. And if you're a Republican, I would think you might have some sympathy with that philosophical view. Um, I think that, to me, the whole point should be that um, it should be, it, uh, you know, it should be a matter of choice, that if, if a woman... A woman in consultation with her partner, her religious, spiritual leader, whatever, her doctor, that's where the decision should be made. We know, uh, I think we would predict if abortion becomes illegal, it's not going to ban abortion. It's not going to lead to an end of abortions. It's going to lead to an end of safe abortions in my, mm-hmm. in my case. So if you care about women's health, uh, women have been getting abortions for all of human history. Oftentimes it's led to death and blood and bloodshed and so on. So um, I don't know about your hypothetical question. I don't. Um, uh, and, uh, I, and I've often been disturbed by the fact that, you know, everybody's been so focused on that issue, like what week of a pregnancy is the cutoff point, that kind of argument, as opposed to, you know, larger issues about from from a pro-life perspective, if that's where you stand, uh, what do we do when the babies are born? And, you know, show me all of our programs for increasing funding and resources to public education, um, uh, better nutrition programs, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I would find a pro-life argument a little more, a little more persuasive. But those are some of my thoughts, Bob. You know, yesterday on the show, I was talking with uh, constitutional law professor Brendan Beery, my regular go-to guy on all kinds of uh, Supreme Court-related matters, and he brought up an interesting point about the impact of a 6-3 to three majority on the court on uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, who in the last couple of years has become uh, kind of the swing vote, and it's given him a different kind of... Um, uh, role as Chief Justice, um, being sort of Chief Justice and decider, and that goes away with a six to three majority. And I think Roberts has tried to keep the court as as much as he can, kind of above the partisan political fray, 
by being that swing vote. I mean, he may not be able to do that in the future, but I think that's been his goal. He doesn't want to see the Supreme Court as be one more political football like the Congress or the, or the executive branch. And, John, I would like to say, with respect to your comment about Republicans being uh, pro-life, uh, I'm a Republican and I'm pro-life, but my argument is not to contain women or deny them choice. But my argument is based on the sanctity of life. If I were caught up in that when I was born, I would probably not exist because my mother had uh, 11 children. And three of them died, but uh, and and so I would have never been born. But the, but the thing about Bob's point, um, or, or I'm not even sure now who made the point that, um, you know, this has become given the perception that the Supreme Court is somehow a one-issue body, I, I think that this litmus test that happens for uh, Supreme Court nominees about where they stand on Roe v. Wade has has gotten us completely away from the kinds of qualifications and and things that we looked for in justices of decades gone by and and I think is probably weakening the court mm-hmm. um, yeah. in, in a way that that is sadly reminiscent of the Flint City Council yeah I know I yeah, oh that's, God that's I know true yeah um, I think the point that others have made and I don't know if Bob what Bob's view on this is but uh, others have made the point that in a way it should the whole question about <clears throat> whether abortion is legal or not, should actually have at some point been a matter of legislation rather than Supreme Court decisions and precedents. That it would have been, I think it might have been better for the country all along if there had been some kind of national legislative uh, yeah. push. And, and there, were, so there were some, even some pro-choice commentators during the Roe Wade time who argued that point. I mean, that, that even the number of liberal pro-choice folks have said, well, maybe it would have been wiser to have gone the legislative route. It didn't happen that way, but it's, it's, it's a reasonable argument. Yeah, it would, have, it, it would have settled it in a way, instead of having one, you know, one case after another trying to chip away at it through the decades. I, just, I somewhat mourn the way that that has derailed, derailed us from having conversations, as I said before, about other issues, about... Yeah education, health, women's health, children's health, um, I, I just, you know, the economic inequities, those issues, those issues, if resolved appropriately, lead to much few, many fewer abortions anyway, you know, that, um, so uh, I, I, I sort of feel that we, that uh, some of us got pulled into that fight, and I understand that it, it it's not just about abortion, it it, it is about women's reproductive rights and women's health in general and controlling women's bodies. Um, so I do understand that, but it just feels like we've been on this long, arduous, you know, difficult, frustrating path all through the decades, all, and it always seems like it comes down to controlling women's bodies, and it's, mm-hmm. it's disturbing, and I, I believe it's going to get worse uh, if Trump gets reelected. I really do. Yeah, we've got Bob back on the line. Bob, do you want to weigh in here? I have a question as far as process, because I heard the panel earlier talking about 
they should, uh, instead of having the vote, which apparently Senator Graham says that they've got the votes, to go ahead and uh, uh, nominate and, uh, and confirm without actually holding the hearings. And I heard some obje objections raised about that. But here's, here's my question to anybody on the panel who would like to respond. Given how really charged this environment is more than any other time uh, in our recent history, my, my question is this. If you take a look at what happened to Judge Bork in 87, and then that was bad enough. Then you take a look at what happened to Judge Thomas in 1992. That was worse. Then add to that the, uh, the, the process that Judge Alito was subjected to that caused his wife to break down, which the, the liberal media made fun of. And then you take a look at recently Judge Kavanaugh. And my question is this for anybody who would like to respond. Yes, I understand that your, your concerns about the advising consent and the process should be followed. But my question is this, whether it's Amy Coney Barrett or any other justice that President Trump puts forward, why should this candidate be subjected to this kind of terror, not only for themselves, but their family? This, this period in our history has been as divisive as, as any. And, and my only concern is, uh, I, I hear what you're saying about the process, but if the process means that someone's reputation and their family are to be sacrificed as part of that process, I'm not sure that that's the way that we, that we need to go. Even though uh, what I'm advocating is going to anger and infuriate an awful lot of people, I'm just not sure that in order to have a process, that a, a, a destruction of a life and a reputation has to occur. Thanks, guys. Okay, Bob. Thank you. Let me, let me jump in real quick on that. First of all, if... Um, they don't um, have hearings. It'll be sort of like canceling one of my favorite TV shows. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> the, well, the thing about the thing about the hearings, and I think Bob is right when he says, "Why should anybody be subjected to that?" And the hearings have become spectacles. They allow senators. Uh, senators will dig up, make up find anything that they can drag out their questioning to spend more time on camera and it has very little do, to do with the competence of the candidate and I would submit and this is an unusual position to take for somebody quasi in the media as I am um, I, I think the hearings should not be televised I think they should be private I think they should be held, but I think they should be held privately. I think we should take the cameras off of them and let them do some real work. But then there's a question. There's a question, Tom. Do the American people have a right to know? Yes. They Where absolutely do. Let reporters it? in the room, you know, no, and let them. Tom, you make a good point. That, that very point was made about whether or not we should televise Supreme Court uh, uh, trials themselves, you know. I mean, and, and many, most justices say no for the very same reason. They don't want them turned to turn to a spectacle. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. On the other right. hand, I, <clears throat> I would hate to see that. That, as I say, it's 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 a, a favorite TV show of a kind. But I'd feel very uneasy if it was if it was not publicized. But I I do I do do see what happens when you have, turn the cameras on. It does become a, a spectacle of some kind, and, and many courts, for that reason, have, have not allowed cameras in. Clarence Thomas was clearly the ugliest I've ever seen. The, the what, sorry? 
Henry the, the what? Clarence, the Clarence, Clarence Thomas, Thomas hearing. Yeah. 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 Because they were wading through waters that we've never been to race. And people were deciding. And then they were making Yeah, but you know what? They took they took the 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 spotlight right off a of race when they uh dragged Anita Hill into the process. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was yeah, that, that was that horrible. Was, that, yeah. But before I mean, I'm I'm gonna agree that this has been squalid. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Good word. You know, it's just, uh, uh, in several cases, including what Bob is citing, um, but we, I don't know, am I being naive to say we can't give up on the process just because the actors aren't behaving themselves? I mean, uh, so it's sort of like saying, well, because the Flint City Council is acting like a bunch of lunatics, does that mean we shouldn't have a city council anymore? Right. Yeah. No. I. I you can't I, do I, I'm it. the same view. I, I. I recognize the problems, but I. I'm reluctant to say. Yeah. We no, need to move on. Yeah. And, well, and earlier, let the process works. Earlier in the show, Bob made the made the point, and I don't know if he actually uh, uh, framed it in in exactly this way, but he said we got to have government, and then a moment later he said something about good governance, and government doesn't automatically mean good government unless you do things to require it to be so right yeah yeah i mean i i feel like um you know some of the blame is that's being thrown around for the nation's woes right now and and again bob and henry it seems to be coming partly from the trump folks is well it's the voters it's not me it's the voters uh so now it's all of a sudden our fault that the president is behaving incompetently, in my view, in many areas. Um, it's the voters' fault. Well, I mean, technically, it is our responsibility because we voted these guys in. I didn't, but uh, and so, what is the where? Where are we as a country right now in the wisdom of our choices? How are we making our choices? You know, it's just it is it is worrisome. And and then a lot of that falls on uh, on the media, which is just um, either either they're beholden to to um, you know their corporate following, or they've become so niched with a a specific audience that they only say things that will please that audience instead of just reporting facts as they are. Yeah. And I would add, on top of that, social media has probably carried that even further, where yeah. it's so easy to spread conspiracy theories, to pitch things, again, only to your own people who agree with you, that kind of thing as well. So in a sense, this brings us back to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and my fact, where we started today. Um, it's like what she represents and that many of us have a hunger for is, again, that non-cynical, morally-directed um, way of thinking about public service. The idea that public servants are supposed to serve the yeah. not their own personal ends. All that kind of stuff, it feels like those days are gone. Uh, and I, you know uh, that yeah, she I managed she managed yeah. to be a realist and an optimist at the same time. Right, you know, know. One, of, one of the most refreshing things was the way she got along with Scalia on the court. I mean here were two very opposite people in her views but they were, as far as I know, genuine friends and, and did a great number of things together. That's, uh, That's one of the things that Brendan and I talked about yesterday, is they really were the model for how to 
um, have civilized uh, debate and, and the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. They were yeah. kind of like, a model of that. It's like Henry and me. We're fond of each other. <laughs> <laughs> and and well, on that happy note, you, I have you to take have a break. Character. We're gonna we're <laughs> gonna too, Henry. we're gonna take a short break and we'll be back with these characters and the X Files <laughs> <laughs> right right after we let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in. We'll be back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Now we're up to my favorite part of uh, armchair politics each week, the coveted X-Files. And uh, here's, here's a good one that will kind of tie into what we've been talking about or some of what we've been talking about today on uh, armchair politics. With incense, smoke, flowers, and photos of President Donald Trump and Democratic rival Joe Biden, Peruvian shamans performed an ancestral ritual on Wednesday for the U.S. elections, but there was little agreement about who would win the November 3rd ballot. Chanting and blowing a traditional Andean shell instrument, the shamans dressed in multicolored garb invoked the Pachamama, or Mother Earth, for the U.S. vote to take place in peace without attacks or any witchcraft between the rivals. During the ritual, the shamans dressed in Andean ponchos and cloaks rubbed medicinal plants, fruits, and even a live snake on photos of Democratic president uh, or Democratic candidate Biden and Republican Trump. Good energies to Mr. Trump. Uh, said the master shaman Pablo Torres carrying the snake on one of his shoulders after squirting a strange liquid from its <laughs> mouth onto the image of Trump. Why? Because he is deserving. He needs good energies, good vibes from his followers, he said. We are supporters of the gentleman. He will win. He is a winner. Shaman teacher Anna Maria Simeon, on the other hand, during the ritual held in a low-lit room of an old building in downtown Lima, said she was in favor of Biden. Is this as reliable a method of predicting the outcome as public polling in recent years? Yeah, it may well. Maybe we should invite these folks Could to the Sunday morning talk shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I like the live side of it. I think we need to incorporate that in. Maybe you could bring one to the show. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be the weirdest show I ever did. Barbara <laughs> just legalized magic mushrooms, so maybe that will help. That, that, could, that could change a lot of things, yeah. Well, maybe this year's Ig Nobles. The spoof prizes for uh, dubious but humorous scientific achievement should have been renamed the Ick Nobles. 
an anthropologist who tested an urban legend by fashioning a knife out of frozen human feces, and a man who found that spiders oddly give scientists who study insects the heebie-jeebies are among the 2020 winners. Because of the coronavirus pandemic, Thursday's 30th annual ignoble ceremony was a 75-minute pre-recorded virtual affair instead of the usual live event at Harvard University. Even so, it managed to maintain some of the event's traditions, including real Nobel Prize laureates handing out the amusing alternatives. This year's winners also included a collection of world leaders who think they're smarter than doctors and scientists, and a team of Dutch and Belgian researchers who looked at why chewing and other sounds people make drive us crazy. Has it become fashionable now for world leaders to think they're smarter than scientists? When has that not been? <laughs> good point, Henry. <laughs> True, good point, Henry, yeah. Oh, Lord. I think a low point in recent weeks has been... And I think I know more than the scientists. Oh, yeah, that's yes. been a common theme. It has been. Well, it, and it makes my fresh claw crawl when people say that. That's something that I hope I would never be stupid enough to do. Well, with your background, Henry, I can see where you're coming from, certainly. Yeah. Well, here's you, here, a chance for... Did you say Trump is stupid? Who said that? <laughs> I did not. Uh, Trump is a very old <laughs> man. He, he may have his character policy, and he may have his positions bent to his own uh, personal goals, but he is not stupid. No, I, I would say he's not stupid, but he's ignorant. There's a difference between the two. No, but see, you guys can say that. I can't because uh, <laughs> I don't believe that. Well, I, I believe he's... that he's good, and, and people hear him. That's why everybody gets so frustrated with him. They understand him when he in, says anything. In, in all fairness, uh, or with all due respect to Henry and, and frankly, to the president, um, I have to admit that um, when the president suggested to people from California that um, they could uh, stave off forest fires by raking the leaves. I laughed out loud. <laughs> well, you can't. It leaves uh, extending it into the woods. You know, <laughs> yeah, spiders follow a pathway, an inviting pathway. So I understand what he said. Uh, here's here's another one. A Malaysian student whose cell phone was stolen while he was sleeping has tracked down the culprit. A monkey who took photo and video selfies with the device before abandoning it. Zach Rodzi, 20, said Wednesday that his phone was missing from his bedroom when he woke up Saturday. He found the phone's casing under his bed, but there was no sign of robbery in his house in southern uh, Johor State. When his father saw a monkey the next day, he launched a search in the jungle behind his house. Using his brother's cell phone to call the device, he found it covered in mud under a palm tree. But a bigger surprise came when he checked his phone and found a series of monkey selfies and videos recorded in the phone. Is this flipping the script on monkey see, monkey do? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Monkeys are like bad habits from us. <laughs> yeah. 
<sighs> I agree. <laughs> um, and and finally, here's here's one more I'll squeeze in. Reindeer herders in the Russian Arctic have found an immaculately preserved carcass of an ice age cave bear. Researchers said Monday the find revealed by the melting permafrost was discovered on the Lyakovsky Islands with its teeth and even its nose intact. Previously, scientists only had been able to discover the bones of cave bears that became extinct 15,000 years ago. Um, scientists of the Northeastern Federal University in uh, Yakutsk the uh, premier center for research into woolly mammoths and other prehistoric species hailed the find as groundbreaking. In a statement issued by the university, researcher Lena Grigorieva emphasized that this is the first and only find of its kind, a whole bear carcass with soft tissues. A preliminary analysis indicated that the adult bear lived 22,000 to 39,000 years ago. Recent years have seen major discoveries of mammoths, woolly rhinos, Ice Age fall, several uh, puppies, and cave lion cubs as the permafrost melts across vast areas in Russia's region of Siberia. Will this make the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest hibernation in history? <laughs> they should do it, yeah. Well, let's see. That pretty much wraps it up for uh, today's edition of uh, the X Files. On, uh, oops, I'm pushing the wrong button here. There we go. Um, on uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics, I want to say thank you to uh, Bob from Davison, formerly of Grand Blank, for uh, participating today. I, I hope we can get more and more people to call the show on a regular basis. Um, and again, my uh, my profound appreciation to the panel who uh, I always appreciate. I can't believe how fast the time goes. Henry Hatter on the right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Good. And, and uh, Paul Rosicki like on the left. One concluding comment. Can yeah, go ahead. That? Quickly. Today, as we observe the United States population on TV and uh, the media, uh, we notice that population that appears to be stable and be functioning the way it ought to. Uh, but Joe Biden says that when he's president, he will uh, support legislation to improve the lives of minorities and women and immigrants and so on and so forth. But we all know and believe that when laws are passed by Congress, they make winners and losers of communities. I, I would hope that Biden continue what President Trump is doing. Well, Henry, Letting thank the you. And, and Paul, thank you are. as always. Good to be here. And, and Jan, it's always a treat when you're here. Thank you so much. Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. Pleasure. And on the subject of uh, science and science denial, a very interesting interview is going to be aired tomorrow on my show during the nine o'clock hour with Carl Sagan's wife, who is the writer and uh, uh, producer of uh, the new Cosmos series. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. 
we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.